Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Glad you're with us. Third hour is here. OutKick 360 rolls on across the OutKick network. We're live from Nashville, 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. And uh, across the southeast, we say hello to Missouri, Alabama, and, and beyond. We say hello to Brock Heward, who will be on the sidelines with Fox, the joint broadcast, Fox and NBC, this Saturday, 7.30 Eastern, the kickoff of the USFL season, the new USFL inaugural season, kicking off with Birmingham and New Jersey. Brock Heward joins us from Fox Sports. Brock, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Things are well. You're just interrupting some of my uh, preparation. I've got my board out here for you. Got New Jersey. Got nice. Stallions. Love it. So, yeah. How many two- toys of war when the generals and stallions get together? <laughs> how many two way players do you have? Is this like a, with 38 players on the roster? How many guys do you have playing multiple positions? No two-way per se, but the O-line, D-line are going to be thin. And if they and if they go down, you could maybe get that tap on the shoulder. We got a bunch of receivers, pretty deep running back crews. So, yeah, I think if you were going to see that, that would probably be some of the big fellas up front. Uh, it'll be a nice night, I think, in Birmingham. If the showers hold off, it'll be, I think, pretty comfortable. So it won't be too hot and humid for the big guys. They've been working hard down in Birmingham. I got a chance to watch some of their kind of mock game that they did. I saw prayer on with you guys earlier uh, talking about that and that experience last week. So I know they're amped up. I know I'm amped up. I mean, this is pretty cool. First simulcast uh, on two major networks since Super Bowl one, And Menifee and Clatt and myself will be uh, trying to hold it down. Will you have the most access a sideline reporters ever had in the history of a professional football game? Yes, I think so. I think when you own the the league, that helps. <laughs> so there's no there, there's no sports information directors I got to go through. I was chatting with our producer Chuck McDonald about that, and and even in the league we covered a couple of years ago, where we had great access, we still had each team had their people that kind of well, you know we going to protect you from this or shield you from that. Not this one. I will be right next to Coach Riley and right next to Skip Holtz and listen to those play calls right in the huddles on the sidelines. So it's pretty, it is pretty awesome access. And with all the people mic'd up and all the the drones and the, and the multiple sky cams and all the technology, I think it's fair to say none of us will have heard or seen football in quite this capacity before. I, I'm excited to make the halftime interview great again, Brock. You know, that the halftime interview with coaches has been so forgettable in recent years. Um, same answers. It doesn't matter what, what the situation is. This is different. Uh, I was down there for the USFL draft. The coaches are very open and honest on the record, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I, I think that will be cool. I also think if you wanted to, and you you, you probably uh, already have access to this, you could probably do an in-game interview with a player if you wanted to. 
Oh, we will. Yeah, awesome. we will absolutely. Oh, we will absolutely do that. We will get some reaction right there on the sidelines. Honestly, I'll be standing right next to the coaches and listening to those play calls, and and uh, it's kind of cool. You know, I'm I'm a reporter on the sidelines, but I'm trying. You know, another set of eyes and and ears down there for Joel and Kurt, and and we've worked together before, as I said, in the league a couple of years ago in a similar capacity, but even more access, even more opportunity to bring the viewer in to showcase football, to showcase what goes on, to capture some of that emotion between players and coaches. And no, we will absolutely have in-game interviews. Those are uh, some of the components that I most look forward to. And, And honestly, I showed you my little board here that we're prepping for this thing. I mean, so many of these players have just grinded and just not quit. I mean, multiple players that have been to two or three colleges, a junior college, and then they're in you know two or three different pro leagues and continue to do this. Some at 32 years of age, some are younger at 24. But the but the but the constant theme and story for so many of these is they're not quitting. They're not quitting on their dream. They're not quitting. They've watched other guys. You know, my my older brother Damon. Um, you know, this was last century, but my older brother, Damon played in NFL Europe. And had he not had that experience, he wouldn't have played 12 years in the NFL. He was out of football and the Dolphins sent him and he went over to Frankfurt and became Damon, the demon and and had a great time, played great, got in the camp, won the third job. And 12 years later, like Jake Delholm, like Kurt Warner, like PJ Walker, a couple years ago, uh, you're going to see players from this league resurrect their opportunity and i just love that so many of them have not yet quit on their dreams brock heward our guest uh usfl kicks off this saturday on fox at nbc birmingham and new jersey one of the one of the rules i didn't hit with Pereira, and i'll ask you from the quarterback perspective or maybe the future play caller perspective brock how how would you implement or use to your advantage the new rule that will allow teams to throw two forward passes behind the line of scrimmage Yeah, is you've seen teams and you think through like, okay, a double pass, right? And what do you always see? You have to see that receiver get depth. That ball's always got to go backwards. You're so concerned because you can't have two forward passes. So this eliminates some of that fear and trepidation that I think you see like, oh my gosh, if we don't execute this, it's a penalty. It's risk reward anyway to have someone that's a non-quarterback throw it. And we got to make sure the timing's right. We got to make sure the first one's a lateral behind the line of scrimmage. So this eliminates some of that fear. And I will be curious uh, who takes advantage of it. You know, Mike Riley, uh, the general's coach, if you think about his time and tenure in football uh, at Oregon State and all of these leagues that he's coached in as well, he's a guy that's you know, always got a couple wrinkles. He's not been afraid of a double pass, not been afraid, kind of like Chris Peterson uh, when he coached yeah. at Boise and Washington to implement some of those plays. Skip Holtz is an offensive guy. Obviously, he's a play caller too. So I think that's where it may jump out the most when you're so used to football, watching that play develop, like, ooh, something's happening here. Oh, that's a lateral. That's a backwards pass. Oh, this must be a double pass. This eliminates that. So you could just go bang, bang, right? You could throw it right to that receiver, right to that slot receiver. He can be maybe even running forward, still has to throw it behind the line of scrimmage, but it does, I think, afford more opportunity and kind of cool for Pereira and crew to put that rule in. Is there another rule that you're specifically wanting to see in this league to see how it works? Maybe something that if used properly or works could translate to other levels of football? I think I'm most curious about this technology with the with the chip in the football. And that's been around. That that's not new technology. It's just now, and I know Roger Goodell in the NFL has got to be thrilled to have a data set unlike anything they've had in the past. 
right? The league's not going to make that move without having a lot of data and information and, 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 you know, check and double check and make sure this thing is, is functioning properly because there's too much on the line. And, uh, you know, I, I use the analogy of a, of a checkbook and I'm, um, probably in the very small percentage of 40 somethings in America that still has a checkbook, but like the chains to me, the chain gang is like a checkbook. Like, Hey man, we still got to have it. If we got to write a check for property taxes, I still got to have, have that. Well, you're eliminating that. There's going to be no chains on the sidelines. This is going to be digital. You're going to maximize the technology and you're going to have a ton of data that comes out of that to say, yeah, we can do this. Tennis has done it. Hockey's done it. Soccer has done it. We can do this. The technology's in place. Let's go for it. And I think that will provide ample volume of data that the NFL is looking forward to getting. I wrote a check recently as well, Brock, but I didn't balance the checkbook. Is your checkbook balanced? No. <laughs> we appreciate the honesty. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Absolutely. I got numbers in my head. Yeah, oh, that's great. I think that the account, yeah. Same. I don't do all of my bills that way. I mean, I'm not that uh, backwards. <laughs> But there's certainly still some every month I like to have that checkbook. Brock, I love getting the quarterback perspective, and I love that we're going to have you as a, a quarterback on the sideline, giving that quarterback perspective, watching this game, and being involved in a different way than we've seen on broadcasts of football games before. Um, I'm curious, and you could even go back to, to that, that board you have right now in front of you as you study these rosters. Is there a quarterback in this league that you're most intrigued to watch over the course of this season, or you can even pick one of the, the quarterbacks in this game. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's a few of them. I mean, uh, Alex Magoo was a, was the only other QB that Seattle has drafted, not named Russell Wilson. Uh, that may change in two weeks. They may they may take one, but Alex Magoo was a late round pick. I actually chatted with uh, some of the Seahawks personnel and asked them why, and and they just loved his playmaking ability. It, didn't really register in Seattle. wasn't really the great fit. He's continued to, to keep himself in shape and play, and and uh, super productive player. Um, I think adv- you know there's going to be an advantage for some of these guys like Alex, who played at FIU, did not have great protection, had to play at times some schoolyard ball to keep plays alive. And early in the season, there's no question the hardest the hardest position group to come together and play at a high level are offensive lines. It was that way in NFL Europe. It's that way in all of these leagues, even in the NFL and college football. So you have to have a quarterback that can be creative. Uh, I was watching some of the Shea Patterson uh, from the demo game on Friday. He was a guy I saw in college a bunch. Saw him at Ole Miss, saw him at Michigan. Super talented guy. Uh, but just being able to, to put it together, just be able to use that skill set to grow in confidence. Like I mentioned, my older brother Damon was out of football. He was done. He was working for the late Paul Allen, trying to save the Seahawks, keep them in Seattle. Phone rang and said, hey, you know, do you want to take this opportunity? Do you want to go play in NFL Europe? And he did. And Jake Delholm did. And Kurt Warner did. And as I mentioned, PJ Walker just a couple years ago did. And it continued to open the door. So inevitably, there's going to be a QB that plays well uh, in, in this stretch over the next 10 weeks, plays in the semifinal or championship, gains confidence, grows in his film and shows, you know, that, that higher level, that NFL, that they still got it. And there will be no question in my mind, a QB or two will come out of this league and get into a camp and give themselves another crack. Do you and the broadcast team uh, map out where you're going to be when, and then bounce off of that based on how the game unfolds? Or is it looser than that at the, at the start and you let the game dictate? 
Well, I know that we've got, uh, you talked about those coaching interviews. I will have that chance in midfield right before kickoff. And and as you said, these coaches are going to be a whole lot more open book than to maybe some of the answers we get, stock answers uh, at times in the college and in the NFL level. Um, I know that. I know that I'm going to just be up and down the sidelines and I'll be running around and, and running, try not to get on the camera view. But uh, honestly, I mean, I will just have so much access and uh, and be, you know, another set of eyes for Joel down there on the field. Joel Clack, Kurt Menefee will do a great job. It will feel like an NFL broadcast. It will feel like the top college football broadcast. The amount of cameras, the amount of technology, the drones, the double sky cam. I mean, it is... Fox is committed to this, and I love that, and that I get to be a part of it as committed as they are to showing this product, innovating this product, and ultimately giving these guys on the field another crack at the at the NFL level. I'm in for all of it and can't wait for kickoff Saturday night. Brock Heward, our guest on OutKick 360. Brock, you referenced Seattle uh, a few minutes ago. Was it known there that Wilson was on the way out, or did it? Was there a feel similar to Rodgers and Brady, like, oh, there's talk that they won't be back, but they'll be back? Yeah, that was the day before my colonoscopy, a day I'll never forget. <laughs> and <laughs> oh. I was drinking that awful drink and, you know, just keeping myself the near. Purge. It felt like yeah. a colonoscopy for most Seahawks fans after the news also. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I, was, perfect. So I went for a walk. Yeah, I mean, it was all it was all perfect symmetry. And I went for a walk. Uh, to try to just buy time, like, oh my gosh, it's killing me. And my phone just starts blowing up. Like, what is what is going on? And they're like, hey, can you hop on, talk about the news? Like, what news? Aaron Rodgers? It was the same morning, Aaron Rodgers, yeah. it turned yeah. out, right? That that was announced. I'm like, I mean, it's kind of been, been there, done that. And they're like, you didn't hear? I'm like, no, I'm in the midst of a colonoscopy cleanse. Didn't hear what? <laughs> and they're like, Russell got traded to Denver. And yeah, it, it surprised me. And it surprised me mostly... Not because their relationship, their relationship was challenged over the last couple of years. That was well documented, that being Russell and his camp uh, and Pete and the Seahawks and their camp. Um, but it, it, but I was surprised because I just didn't think at this stage, Pete Carroll would pull that trigger. I didn't think it's 70, 71, right, that I, that he would want to reboot and, and retool. And I, it doesn't take long. Cincinnati showed that if you get the right people, you could turn this thing in a hurry. But that was why I was blown away and most surprised outside of colonoscopy. Clinton. Should I should I be surprised that Baker Mayfield's not a Seattle Seahawk yet? To me, it makes too much sense. We had a topic on this earlier and discussed it throughout the offseason. Um, it, it, bridge guy sounds like a negative connotation but I, I think it works in seattle right now and baker a motivated baker mayfield is something that i think pete carroll would gravitate towards am i wrong uh, we'll see after the draft I, I think geno smith they've been on the record they would love to sign him back but i think they're going to wait and see and that tells me there's somebody they like in this draft i don't think there's anybody they love i don't think they're going to take a qb at nine but there's somebody they must like whether that's matt corral um uh, the Cincinnati QB named Escaping Ritter, Ritter. Apologize, Ritter, Ritter yeah. Desmond is is on his visit today in Seattle. Okay. Uh, so I mean, obviously, I don't know if that's it's lying season and misinformation season. So maybe they're doing that for different purposes. But there must be somebody they've got at least an eye on to have not signed Geno, did not pull the trigger yet on Baker Mayfield. I think they'll let the draft unfold. And I do know this in talking to their people and even getting a chance to meet Drew Locke. That's not just a throw-in. That's not just a throwaway. You listen to Pete Carroll in the first press conference after Russell Wilson's trade. It was like, oh my gosh, take it down a notch, Pete. But yeah. he was like, 
I'm going to bring out the best in this kid. He was highly thought of. We had him as a first, second round guy. He's had a hard luck there, played for, you know, an old crusty coach, Fangio, and we're going to build him up and love on him and encourage him and grow him. And, and they're going to give him an opportunity absolutely to compete for the job, whether that's with a draft pick or whether ultimately when the dust all settles to your point and Baker makes the most sense, is it going to be an open competition then uh, with those two guys? If it's not Seattle, I don't know where Baker lands. Like it, you know, well, kind of like, felt that way, right? I yeah. think he's, he's did some podcasts where he's sitting on a couch. couch, couch <laughs> yeah. By the way, it was yeah. couch cast. Yeah, yeah. And was was he petting? It almost looked like he was petting a cat on the couch. <laughs> it was a dog. Like, was, that was, was it actually Hasbula sitting next to the him. The dog yeah. looked sedated also. Had the, the paws up. Uh, it yes. looked like he gave yeah. the dog something right before the interview. Well, it looked like the dog was ready for a colonoscopy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but Baker had like something like a pillow or something between his side. I don't know. It was a kind of a different, uh, a different appearance. And I think he was taken aback, obviously disrespected, not told that this was the scenario they were going down. And you're right. As you lay this out and let's see what, you know, Carolina and these teams that need a QB and what they do in this draft. And, and I think Baker and me and you and everybody will kind of be excited to see the dust settle and see just where he does fit. Brock, remember when a quarterback like that would, back in the day would, would do an interview with Andrea Kramer or someone established in, in television and they'd go on ESPN, it'd be a sit-down conversation where they might start crying during the interview but talking about their feelings. That, you, and you can and hold then, it to Sunday, Sunday conversation. Yeah, and yeah. then, and then yeah. now you've got Baker Mayfield with his dog on a couch going on the you, you <laughs> never, not never, you never know podcast. With Mike. With, with Mike, the podcast hosted by Mike with a guy sitting there yeah. drinking water, looking hungover, sitting on Baker Mayfield's couch, just throwing up softballs for him to you know yeah. hit back to Mike him. Mike is on the rise. It's crazy. Yeah, the, yeah media is a beautiful thing these days. It really yes. is. Just beautiful. It's awesome. Brock Heward has been our guest. Uh, USFL kicks off Saturday. Simulcast, first time since Super Bowl One that we've seen this. Uh, simulcast on both Fox and NBC. 7.30 kickoff, $10 tickets as well. Brock, we're excited about this. Uh, we're behind the league. We'll be down in Birmingham often, uh, and uh, hopefully we can link up there. Uh, I'll be there on Saturday, that. Brock. We're looking oh, forward to that. it. Yeah, man. Yep. Come say hello. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm just glad it's a night. So for yes. me and my first suit game on the sideline, I shouldn't be too sweaty. Temperature should be appropriate. And uh, we're going to have an absolute blast. Enjoy the fun. visit. Brock's Thanks. probably hey, thinking, this way, is much right, worse yes. than the hey, You Never Know podcast. By, by the way, Brock, <laughs> would you go for two every time? Does the two-point conversion weigh more because the three-point conversion is available? I think that's a fair question. You know, I, I do. I think a lot of the speculation early is that coaches are coaches and you got a lot of coaches with a lot of experience, Jeff Fisher, Mike Riley and others. And they typically fall back to what they know, which is just going to be a conventional PAT, uh, especially early. I think that's the route they'll go. But maybe once data shows and I'm with you, I think the data will show that actually that two point from the two yard line will be effective. Here's one other little thought, though, and most of these teams through the years of covering football, they only have, I don't know, two, three plays from the two-point conversion. So remember, yeah. game goes to overtime, then all of a sudden you could have three more of those. So how much do you want to show? Can you actually have 10 two-point plays going into a game somewhere along those lines, five to 10, which is, I think, what you're going to need. So yeah, it might not look like much, but all of that is going to kind of push the pedal a little bit, make these guys be a little more creative. And in the end, I think the data will show the most effective will be going for two from that two-yard line. 
Brock Heward, uh, a great guest. Uh, thanks for the visit, man, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up soon. This has been fun. Thank thanks. you. Look forward. Yep, yep. Hit me up, man. I look forward to doing it again. See you guys. Awesome. Thank you, Brock. Brock Heward there. Um, you know, I was talking with Fish Fisher about this uh, prior to the draft. I, I was, with especially with the limited roster, I would treat it more, and again, I don't mean this in a negative way. I would treat that quarterback position like a high school position, meaning I want him to punt, and we're not going to kick. We're going to go for two. And he needs to be able to pooch kick in case we need to punt away. But I'm all in a league built for offense. I would want either my quarterback or my backup to have that experience in high school because a lot of guys are doing that now. Like like Brock said, though, I, I bet you early on there'll be some coaches that play it more conservative than that. Some some will come out firing on that. Others will be conservative early and feel it out. Well, you, you we all know Jeff Fisher wants a, his kicker or punter to be able to throw. Yes. I would want my quarterback to be able to kick. Like I, I'm looking at it reverse. Yeah, I, I see the, the the sort of the rugby style punt where it looks like yes. it could be a fake on yes. every play, but doing that with the quarterback yep. where you don't quite know he's rolling, 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 and then he can punt it quickly and squib it down the field to some extent. The only time you get screwed on that Paul is when you need uh, an extra point just to tie it, like one point to tie yeah. at the end, and then you don't. You got to have somebody that can definitely hit <laughs> hit the kick. They have worse kicking problems than uh, the Titans did two years ago. A couple ago. years ago. <laughs> a couple of years ago for a couple of years. Um, so we'll, we'll hit Nick Saban's thoughts on NIL coming up. Let's do that. Uh, interesting take yet again from uh, the man atop the uh, mountaintop of, uh, of college football. Well, it's football him and coaching. Dabo. You know, they're the, they're the old guard now. They're, they're the ones that are speaking out yeah, against us more than anyone well, else. They, Dabo's speaking out and. Saban is too, but Saban's got backups that can just replace the starter as they move on if they were to transfer out, for instance. Uh, I mean, Saban is bringing in a receiver from Georgia, for instance. Compared to Dabo, who says that his transfer portal is in the locker room. (laughs) So That's a good quote. uh, We'll discuss that and compare the two uh, coming up. But speaking of the USFL, $10 tickets available, um, and kickoff is this Saturday for the USFL down in Birmingham, all games played there. It is the most family friendly and affordable professional sports league. The proof is with the price tickets are $10 and these are full day passes to protective stadium, meaning $10 for the triple header on Sunday, the 17th, for instance. And with each $10 ticket, that's the adult ticket. You could bring three kids under the age of 15 with you. So if you uh, go with a friend of yours, it's 20 bucks. You can bring six people with you under the age of 15. It is the most affordable professional sports league you're going to find. Every game played in Birmingham for the full schedule and details uh, for the first three weeks of the season. That's already been announced. And then every week moving forward, we will see another two weeks announced down the schedule. But one thing is for certain. It's 10 bucks to get in. You can bring three people under the age of 15 with you. It's great, and it's family-friendly in Birmingham. Visit the website, theusfl.com. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Through your radio or on your smartphone, this is Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. So Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney don't like the transfer portal and NIL. When I say they don't like, they, they've embraced it some. Dabo doesn't like it, but they've accepted transfers. Um, just not to the extent of others. Um, they don't like it because they were having massive success without it. That's the key here. I'll kick 360 rolls on. But uh, Saban has commented on this recently, Chad. Yeah, my response to Saban and Sweeney is be the change you want to see in the world and don't do it if you hate it so much. Right. See what happens. See, well, see if you like going six and six if you don't embrace they, it at all and you're the anti NIL coach. They took a starter from Vandy, they took a starter from Georgia. Well, take a stand. Bama. You know, I mean, if this is really the way you feel, then great. Take a stand on it and say, hey, we're two powerhouses. We're not going to do it at all. We're right. not going to acknowledge it. Now, that would be in violation of Supreme Court and what they it said would all, about this. It would also be extremely dumb because if, you're, if you're allowed to pay these players and open uh, in the, a public forum um, through sponsorships, through name, image, likeness, um, in, the, so, in the world of haves or have-nots, you're going to be part of the haves. Well, and here's the thing. It, Clemson and Alabama are going to be just fine because they're going to have all the donors and boosters and alums that are going to help them out any way right. they need. So I don't know what the complaining is about. Uh, with Nick Saban. Anyways, here's what Saban had to say. I don't think what we're doing right now is a sustainable model. The concept of name, image, and likeness was for players to be able to use their name, image, and likeness to create opportunities for themselves. That's what it was. So last year on our team, our guys probably made as much or more than anybody in the country. Notice that Saban is quick to point that out every time because every time he speaks is a chance to recruit, and he's smart that way. But that creates a situation where you can basically buy players. You can do it in recruiting. I mean, if that's what we want college football to be, I don't know. And you can also get players to get in the transfer portal to see if they can get more someplace else than they can get at your place. We now have an NFL model with no contracts and everybody's a free agent. It's fine for players to get money. I'm all for it. I'm not against that. But there also has to be some responsibility on both ends, which you could call a contract, so that you have an opportunity to develop people in a way that's going to help them be successful. I don't, it's dis- not wrong. I don't no. disagree with what he's saying in, in the end of that, right? You know, it's not wrong. There needs to be a contract. Um, I think the Nico Iamaleava situation at Tennessee is one that's going to be a cautionary tale in the end or the standard moving forward for five-star quarterbacks. Um, that's, what, that's what a lot of people are pointing to. This is the biggest one that while not officially confirmed, is out there in a lot of spaces, about $2 million a year for a quarterback. If he bombs out at Tennessee, then this is going to be the cautionary tale of this is where it can backfire when it doesn't work out. If he is every bit the brand, he, I mean, he was in Knoxville this weekend, he was signing autographs, he was making appearances at ice cream shops, he was, he was fulfilling his contract, it looked like. And he is a brand. He's, he wears the Tennessee pajama pants when he's working out. You know, he, he likes to wear pajama pants for a workout. He, point being, if it works and he's a good player, it's great for all sides. It's great for Tennessee. It's great for him. 
it's great for the, the ones that signed the contract with him also. If it doesn't, everyone's going to say, whoa, hold on now. We don't want to be giving high school kids this type of commitment because we don't know how it's going to work out. But if not, you're going to see more and more people up the ante a bit. Now, what the Saban's week- saying is it's too flimsy. It's built on a house of cards, and either side could bail too quickly. If it works great for one side and not the other, you, you, you can skip out of it too soon. And I think he's forecasting that that's what's going to happen. And that could be what's happened, right? And everything looks good right now because we haven't seen this thing play out. I don't mind the best coach in America forecasting how he sees it playing out. Whether well, that's better be. for, of course, it's better for him if it if if people aren't too fast with it and everything. But it could well play out like he's he's talking well, about. So the concept of you can go buy players now that's not a new concept. No. It's what Will Wade did at LSU. It's what a lot of coaches in football and basketball have done. And I'm but, pointing to football and men's basketball yeah, the as the two most doors. likely. But you can do it now. You can do it now in. In, in the same vein of recruiting off of Saban's roster. Right. You could recruit against him in the high school forum and well, buy a player, but you, you now you can come and do that as a backup linebacker at Bama. I'm yes. not saying that always works at Bama, but it can work elsewhere well, where you, the, your current guys are getting recruited and they're not sitting out a well, year that's what he hates. to take but the money and leave. That's that could hates. wind up being a false promise. But, they're going to promise well, you this. T- You're going to go there that, and it's not going to turn take out. He's doing that at two key positions this year for his own benefit. Yeah, take out the false promises thing. Yes, Nick Saban hates the fact that he gets a top prospect. He doesn't start right away. In a year, he can go right. double dip. That, that's an issue. He can get something done with Alabama boosters out of high school and get something done with LSU boosters when he transfers. And he doesn't want get, and I get that that there's a problem with that, and that's going to have to be regulated. But coaches, not coaches per se, programs have bought players for years. Mm-hmm. What do we say when a top basketball prospect picks Auburn over North Carolina and Duke and traditional powers? Oh well, maybe top maybe there was some money involved with that. There's all right. those programs that are like that. They get top when Ole Miss and Hugh Freeze had the number one recruiting class in America. What did every sports fan jump up and down and say? They're paying for all those players. Because why on earth would you go there instead of playing for Nick Saban at Bama if you had the chance? Well, this is the evening. Of, this is how you even the playing field. This is what Nick Saban does not understand because he doesn't have to. He is Nick Saban at damn Alabama, the most tradition-rich program in America, and he's the winningest, best coach of all time. When someone chooses anything over Nick Saban Alabama – it's a shocker. It's a surprise. If you're Tennessee or you're any number of programs that's not Georgia out there, you might have to buy a player to get one that was going to go to Alabama but other than your program. If not, why wouldn't they go to Alabama this is about, if given the choice? This is about play the, faster. Um, maybe. Yeah. Th- this is to the play earlier. quantity over well, – in quality too, but this is about quantity – Tennessee can buy how many players a year, you know, or um, Auburn and Ole Miss can buy how many players. This is about oil money. This is about Texas and Texas A&M. A&M's doing it right in front of their eyes with the best recruiting class we've ever seen. It's topped anything Bama's done in the rankings. And they're doing it with the quantity of these five stars. I think that is what is alarming to the best coaches in the country. Speaking of Saban and, and Dabo would be up there in the top five. You're, you're, you're pointing at 
Look what A&M's doing. Texas is about to join the league. I don't think he's worried about recruiting uh, and, and trying to combat Ole Miss and what they could do. Or, and, or, or Tennessee or to one quarterback. If you're getting at one quarterback or if you're getting uh, one player on offense, one player on defense, A&M's doing this swarm with an entire starting roster, right? Yeah. Like that is what they're combating. I think they're trying to cut that off at the pass by, by grouping everyone together. This is about Texas A&M, and this is about what Texas can do. I would agree with that. I, I would agree. And also, you're right in that you have A&M already in his division, and you've got Texas headed who, to the SEC. Right, right. So he's looking around and saying, this is where it's headed. The hope would be that there is a regulatory body that makes sense, that can regulate some of this by the time Texas joins the SEC. I don't know how you're going to get to that point. We've talked about the need for regulation within sports. There needs to be a czar of college football. There needs to be a college football governing body that's not the NCAA that can figure some of these things out. What I've talked about, you know, even Nick Saban saying it, this is free agency in the NFL without a salary cap and without contracts. Contract length. So it's chaos. Year to year free agency. I, I have floated this out and people laugh at me at times, but I am all for a salary cap with the top programs. You spend the NIL money how you deem necessary. But the only so Everyone much. is eligible to get money, so you're not violating any Supreme Court edicts but, when you do that. But every program but has a it, set has an NIL collective with a set number of businesses. But the, the NIL is where it gets dicey. There's nothing that keeps Derrick Henry from making as much money as he wants to outside of the Tennessee Titans organization. There's a cap on his salary. There's nothing to say that Nissan can't pay him whatever they want on an annual basis yeah. based on his name, image, likeness. That's why you can't cap NIL because a player is worth whatever he's willing to get on the open market for that advertising or that name connection with the brand. And that's well, why that's some why of these NBA salaries it, haven't meant that much. LeBron James's salary doesn't mean that much if you did in it, context. If you did it through – now, the, the, here's where you could never truly regulate it. If you did it through each university and just said, okay, to heck with the old system about universities can't pay. There's an NIL collective associated with every major university. Yeah. They pay a salary cap to get acquire talent, to get players out of high school. That's part of the recruiting process. You allocate however you want. If you want to pay, you could get $8 million a year. If you want to give $3 million to a five-star quarterback, go ahead. But that's going to be less for everyone else. However you want to do it, the schools can do it. But then the issue becomes, okay – I'm an A&M booster. I've got generations of oil money. I'm just not going to be a part of the official university part of it. And I'm going to make sure that we're going above and beyond to get better players because I'm paying money on top of that. Which I can do. And then you're going to go endorse whatever company I own. There's no way to stop that because nothing. players nothing have do. the right to go get money wherever they can. Now, at one point you could, but that the college, you know, college athletics took a step back. The NCAA took a step back because they can't regulate. There's no this way to regulate properly. Um, I've often wondered though if if there were some guidelines, what what would happen if Greg Sankey called a press conference and said, "We are putting together. I'm I'm going to be a part of the leadership council or whatever." with the best minds in college sports to regulate name, image, likeness. We're going to find out what's possible before this really gets out of hand. If he did that, he would become the czar of college athletics, not just the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference. 
And he's in, in some ways, he's already the de facto czar of college athletics. But could they technically cap it without being challenged in court? Because you can't put you, any limits on me. The way and I so understand it. You, you could do it from the school just like you could do any, uh, any business like the NFL. You can make a, right. a salary but once cap for each school. There, you can't but it doesn't matter. Me. That's just getting the guy there. So right. once you're there, then they can, can go make money wherever they want to stay because yeah. there's the one-time transfer exemption. So if I go to the coach and say, I'm going to go double dip and try to go somewhere else and get in on their salary cap or get other businesses paying, that's when other outside businesses have to step up and keep the player happy. I it's unwieldy that, before you even can try to I, I'm I'm far contain. less concerned about high school recruiting in this and far more concerned about transfer the portal transfer recruiting. portal. The, yeah. And because you've already got top prospects, they're outwardly telling people, I know this for a fact, outwardly telling people, I will go here and make a ton, and in a year or two, I'll do it again somewhere else. I am not committed to four years. I'm going to be out in the NFL in three. I will go two years one place. I will transfer again. I will double that in one year to go help out a contender or another school that wants me bad enough. Then I'll go to the NFL. You know, Saban's complaint's absolutely legitimate given, given that. I mean, you can't lock a guy in, but you know we're not that far removed from you couldn't just transfer. You had to wait a year. That seems extreme, but that seems extreme too. I'm just going to dump well, and go I'll, to I'll, a second place. There, I'll, I'll say this about Saban. He will figure out a way to make it work oh, for Bama. Like, they, they, you, you may be able to make the argument based on what Jimbo Fisher ends up doing at A&M that they could get to that type of contention level at A&M, but there's no way you can convince me that Saban and Alabama take a step back because he, he will figure out a way while he's bringing up great points to work within the framework or lack thereof of college sports right now. Let's make it work for him. Right? Like, there's no doubt that Philip Fulmer would figure out a way to make name, image, likeness work, both as a coach and a, an AD, if he were in place. He, he hates it, but he would figure out a way to make it work and be successful with it. Saban's going to be just fine. I, I don't disagree with anything he's saying. They're not going to be I, consistently outbid. Th that won't happen right, for long. Right. They will get in well, the game and make sure they're at least matching – and then if they're um, matching, Alabama under Nick Saban's got a lot to sell. If all if the money's equal, no doubt, or close to it. Yeah. I'm, so I mean, come on. I uh, I understand where he and, and Dabo Sweeney are coming from, but you know, and, and I listen. By the way, it's something like we we kind of mock Lane Kiffin when he brings this up, you know. And I, I I my running joke is you know NIL is out of hand when Lane Kiffin's complaining about paying players and recruiting, but. And I love Lane, but this rings, this rings more heavy across co the college board and landscape when Saban steps up and says it. Here's right? another unintended consequence, too. A, a lot of people who ultimately got turned off by pro sport free agency, well, there's too much movement. Guys don't stay with teams. I can't grow. At least in college, I'm going to see the same guy for three years at yeah. my school. Well, that, that's going to go away here. And you're going to see, Chad, you've talked about year-to-year -year movement. Here you're talking two-and-one at least. You're not going to have anybody to maintain an affection for at a program, and, and you're going to wind up rooting for laundry again. You know, yeah, but in it, what sport well, are you going to see oh, a guy there's stay? Not, hey, but uh, you, you root for laundry, Chad? I would also root for exactly what happened with Tennessee. They brought in two transfers, and they turned the program around. 
yeah, because of their quarterbacks. For sure, and and I, I that's that's fine. I, I do think that there is a law of diminishing returns with that, and that eventually so it's not, you know. It, Watching the Final Four, like those were great games in the Final Four, and I, I saw a number of people, you know, tweeting out. I don't see any negative effect on NIL when I watch these Final Four games. I don't, I don't watch this and think, man, these guys care less because they're making a little money, or this is this does this is not great college basketball. It is. I agree with all of that, but I think the law of diminishing returns to what you're saying, Paul, is eventually you just get so jaded about guys being there for a year and leaving so quickly, and then another guy coming in, either not panning out or panning out, but he's there for one year, and you don't even know your own roster, even diehards of the sport well, even that, don't know their own roster to the point that eventually you care less and less, you want to go less and less. It's more of a fun diversion and not a way of life like yeah. it is in the South for college football. I mean, it might take a generation to get to this point, but I think you're going to start seeing the cracks in that within three to five years where people are – there's going to be a number of people that are old-time fans of the sport they are going to say, I would just like to have guys that are there for three or four years that I get to know and that I'm rooting for their senior year. I want to just get back to that a couple times with just a few guys. Yeah, and you were talking about you don't even look at what year a guy is anymore. In the, no, in the I have never known less about the class of a player and what year they're because That's none irrelevant. of it matters. Because they could be gone the next semester either way. Well, You don't roster plan that way anymore. Where this starts is with the coaches. And, and the, poaching's the wrong word because it's legal. You know, it's, it's the, still poaching. But you know, Mississippi State's replacing Charles Cross at left tackle. And they've got a transfer from Middle Tennessee State that's not even guaranteed a starting role who transferred to Mississippi State for the chance to start. Right? And he's starting in Conference USA. You're plucking a guy that started nine or ten games there for, for, a, for an opportunity SEC, and I don't blame either side of it. Um, but that's that. It starts with the coaches where you say, you know what, we're not going to go and try to piecemeal this roster together with everyone else's developed talent. It, it, Saban's not doing that. He's he's take he's taking advantage of the rules just like Jimbo and everyone else is in the recruiting ranks in high school. From the college and transfer portal rank, I mean, there are thousands of dudes well, no in, the, one, in the portal. No one cares, and no one gets upset when a guy who's not playing at a big school transfers down and starts right at a smaller school. We're all okay with that. We love that. What you get tired of is when Tyler Steen transfers from Vanderbilt as a guaranteed starter in conference to move up to Alabama to go start at tackle for Alabama. That's where people get upset. And then and you lost out on the high school recruit because Steen was starting on your depth chart. and You didn't think right, you needed him. Right. But Krzyzewski wouldn't take, what, one and duns or Juco's forever, and, and things started to go bad, right? He had to. And, and now it's and all John no choice. <laughs> and he had no choice. Right. He's got half the lottery of the NBA lottery. So be careful if you're, you're going to try to be noble. It only lasts so long. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think this is noble but a woman super glued herself to a hardwood floor last night can't wait to discuss and somehow was not arrested story uh, on that next well, on that alone doesn't warrant arrest. get ready for the greatest roast of all time the roast of tom brady a netflix live event happening may 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So a woman tried to glue herself to the playing floor last night at the Timberwolves game against the Clippers protesting Timberwolves owner Glenn Taylor who's the majority owner for an incident involving chickens at an egg farm I guess the bird flu or something broke out and they had to do away with you know their chickens and eggs um which I I for one applaud I mean if you have (laughs) bird flu breakout I don't Want not that selling the any chickens on Swap and Shop. No, 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 no. They're, they're, you can't mention that. Um, she protested by trying to glue herself to the floor. <laughs> it's a new uh, protest. Which I'm, I, I immediately think, how long does it take for that glue to set, right, to where you're Pretty actually quick. stuck? She was issued this little uh, note that I guess someone posed with her on the outside of the arena that just said, um, hey, uh, don't come back. <laughs> but that was it. You know, meanwhile, we've got Catfish Jake, who was arrested and got arrested uh, in Pittsburgh for throwing a catfish on the ice for an instrument of crime. She actually went onto the she went on the floor in the middle of the game, glued herself to a floor during a TV timeout, and was just like escorted out of the arena. And that was it. Catfish Jake should have just claimed that he was protesting. Uh, He was protesting the treatment of catfish (laughs) when he threw that catfish in the ice. This was a catfish that actually was raised properly, Uh, and I'm throwing it on the ice as a protest. He wouldn't have been arrested. I would protest how that catfish was treated uh, just to get into the arena. In the stall (laughs) at the gas station or wherever he put it down his pants. Oh, Trouser fish. Can you imagine imagine being the guy that has to, like, unglue someone, like, peel the hand off? She had a laceration on her hand. I'm like, no kidding. Yeah. She glued her hand to the hardwood floor. What a world. How about my Timberwolves? What a world. What a world we live in. Home team's won. Back at it tomorrow for another show that always wins. Trey Wallace, Armando Salguero, and more. Dan Dockett is on the show tomorrow. I'll kick 360. Join us. Do not block the box, but kindly lock your locks.